Hello, and welcome to the Monolith Medium Podcast. My name is Brett Hoy, and today we're going to be doing a reading of my essay um, on Annihilation, a film by Alex Garland, starring Natalie Portman, Oscar Isaac, Jennifer Jason Leigh, among others. And the the film itself, I think, is an important film to discuss uh, for multiple reasons, and then also the essay itself, I think, is important. Um, but just for the sake of kind of reaffirming what we're doing here just in general, not just in this podcast, but in this podcast as a whole, as in the entire Monolith Meeting podcast, and also the website, um, journal, film reviews, all those things. What we're trying to do is create kind of a metric, or at least a way of describing film that isn't contingent on whether you like something or not. And that's not to denigrate your kind of gut reaction to something because a lot of times that's the most important thing and for most people it certainly is the most important thing in watching film. But I think we are capable of having a better discussion than than we do currently. And let me kind of describe why that is. I think that when we see films we immediately describe them as good or bad. And that is a useful thing for other people but what it doesn't do is actually describe the success in something or at least the reach of a film the point here being that when we ask the question did i like it or not we are completely distilling huge amounts of not only effort on the filmmaker's part that's a big part of it but also real implications real themes real really important concepts and when we when we distill those down to did i like it or not we're always turning a blind eye to what's going on that's not to say that every film that you should have this huge deep discussion about it because i think some films maybe you can just have a good time but when we do confront films like annihilation what's our reaction when we confront films like raw like i talked about before or first reformed or you were never really here. What, what's our what's our reaction? Are we rating that on the same uh, scale as we are, you know, a Marvel film? And you can do the same thing with a Marvel film. You can have these these important discussions about them as well. But again, I think we just need to realize that saying the phrase, you know, yes, I liked it, or no, I didn't and giving a film a rating, you know, from 1 to 100 on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever it turns out to be, is maybe valuable in a sort of societal sense, but it won't ever get us closer to what the art form is about. And so this kind of podcast, this kind of, um, these ideas probably won't speak to everybody, and that's okay. But what it should do is it should give you kind of a tool bag, or at least affirm, you know, your ideas that maybe in a film that you watched recently, you knew that something was going on, but you couldn't really describe it. And what I want to do is I want to give people who are having those kinds of thoughts the confidence to actually have that discussion. And also to tell them right now that there is something there. It's not an empty, it's not an empty place. Popular ideas that film is about escapism and while that may be true for certain people that's a completely absurd idea that that's what film is it's not only you know it's it's patently wrong (laughs) on on so many levels you can use it however you want 
it can be functional for you that way. But that is not correct in any real sense. So that's the first part of it. The second part of this importance thing with uh, Annihilation, I think, is just that the concepts they're dealing with are actually very, I think, difficult. I think that, and what you'll hear in the essay, I think, is just that there is there's something going on here that is not easy for people to to discuss. And I don't mean that because of its ambiguity. I mean that because the statement that Annihilation makes is that there's very little that we have control over. That we have less control than we really did. But not control over the world. We don't know. We can't control ourselves. And you can decide whether you believe that or not. This essay isn't trying to convince you of that. But I do think that Annihilation is trying to make these statements. Um, and that's a huge discussion. That's a very difficult discussion. So, without giving anything more away, here it is. Annihilation, Authenticity, and the Death of the Individual. isn't an easy film to fully understand on the first watch. And not all of this is because it's ambiguous. For its incredibly lofty goals and concepts, the script routinely falls short of creating a comfortable environment to want to inspire these thoughts. But it would be totally false to misinterpret this and believe that there isn't a coherent, important thesis at the heart of the film. In this essay, we'll explore that thesis using some outside context and the film itself to describe the more incomprehensible moments. Who are you? It seems like a simple question because we ask each other all the time. We're at a party and we introduce ourselves. We say, hello, I'm blank and I am a blank. But that simple response clearly doesn't encapsulate who you are in any holistic way. In fact, it's much harder to identify who you really are than it may initially seem. I talk about this quite a bit in the essay that I wrote on Toy Story through the lens of John Paul Sartre's terms transcendence and facticity. That is, who you are to yourself in contrast with who you are to others. And which one of those terms more adequately describes who you are? Throughout history, humanity has made comments on this question, regardless of if we even knew it. The ancient Greeks adopted a method of person-to-person identification in which your family name came before your first name. This also developed among Asian cultures and still exists today. Something as simple as our naming convention says a lot about who we are. We're not just ourselves, we're inextricably tied to our ancestors, families, and tribes. And this is the lens through which society views us. And it doesn't stop with our familial ties. During times when our families identify heavily as a nationality, family ties become tribalistic ties. This was the reality for virtually every generation that has preceded us, and for many families, this is still the reality. This mentality has had numerous positive and negative effects. It's used to convince men and women to give their lives away in war, but it's also, historically speaking, an intensely powerful community adhesive, for good or bad. You might recall the beginning of Full Metal Jacket, where success in boot camp was contingent on fundamentally changing the nature of these men from individuals to soldiers. What is that? But the reason this matters so much is because this isn't a discussion that has limited scope. This concept governs our actions every day of our lives. This way of being, of at every moment caring about one's individual life story, is a quality of being human. That is, to be a human being 
is to have a deep inwardly facing consideration and interrogation of our outwardly facing identity. And this understanding is joined at the hip to our essential human agency. This phenomena and concept was described by Martin Heidegger in his groundbreaking yet uncompleted book, Being in Time. The term he created was Dasein, which translates from the German to roughly being one's own. And the word that we would use in place of this concept is authenticity. This is what puts the being in human being. Consider this thought experiment. If in your place your parents gave birth to another being that shared your name, your physical appearance, and every outward sign that it is you, would there be anything missing from the world? The natural inclination is to emphatically say, yes, there would be something missing. But what is it that's missing? It's the internal rider of our individual consciousness saying, yes, I am here. It's the ego. It's the thing that tells us that it is something to be like you, separate from the judging gaze of the family or state. This is what it is to be one's own, or to be authentic. For us, each day we open our eyes and experience the world, our being takes a stand about who we are. This is reflected in every action we take, whether we are conscious of it or not. In Annihilation, we see a world where this understanding of what it is to be one's own breaks down, and we confront the reality of what it means to be a human versus a human being. I think the most important thing that is um, left out in this kind of opening section here is, is the importance of um, a human versus a human being. Um, when I talk about this and when I wrote about this and also when it's described by uh, Martin Heidegger and other um, authenticity uh, advocates, I don't know the word for that. Anyway, authenticity uh, advocates. Um, the Being a human being, <laughs> a human being is someone who has agency versus a human. So when we say human, we're talking about kind of the animal kingdom species, you know, homo sapien. But when we're saying human being, we're talking about a person that has individual agency and, you know, decision making and, and knows themselves and is themselves. And so in that way, when we say human being, we're really describing not only the person, but we're describing the consciousness. And so that's an important distinction that I didn't make here. Um, but at the same time, I feel like it's um, generally, you could, you could read into that. But however, let's continue on. At the beginning of the film, we see visuals of a cervical cancer cell taken from a woman in her mid-30s. We hear Lena's voice as the cell begins to duplicate. She says, this is a cell. Like all cells, it is born from an existing cell. And by extension, all cells were ultimately born from one cell. She continues, The rhythm of the dividing pair, which becomes the structure of every microbe, every blade of grass, sea creature, land creature, and human. The structure of everything that lives and everything that dies. From the beginning of the film, we're talking about all of life and the history of the universe, descended from one cell. Alone, this concept is valuable in the sense that it accentuates the plot of the film and tells us who Lena is, that is a biologist at John Hopkins. But what does this say about the characters in the film, and by extension us? Perhaps it verifies an evolutionary fact, but in context this will grow to mean much more. A sort of interesting note here, um, these cervical cancer cells, I have no idea where they necessarily came from, but later um, in the film we see 
uh, Lena reading a book on the couch, and the book is The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Um, Henrietta Lacks was the woman who had cervical cancer cells taken from her, and those cells just continue to duplicate and uh, are essentially, I suppose, in a dramatic sense, immortal. <laughs> um, that's just a fun little note, something clearly they wanted to put into the film. Throughout Annihilation, we talk about individual cells and the way that cells grow together and how they're directed by DNA and Hox genes. But we have to remember that we're not simply talking about cells. We're talking about what makes us fundamentally who we are. Lena and Kane lay in bed together, looking up at the skylight and seeing the moon out during the day. They joke about it being a mistake by God. Kane says that God doesn't make mistakes, and Lena disagrees. She says, you take a cell, circumvent the hayflip limit, you can prevent senescence. It means the cell doesn't grow old. It becomes immortal. Keeps dividing, doesn't die. We see aging as a natural process, but it's actually a fault in our genes. To clarify here, the Hayflick limit is the number of times a cell can divide before entering senescence, uh, biological aging. But let's continue on. Most of us understand that our cells are constantly growing, aging, dying, and being replaced. We're always physically changing, be that as we grow from a fetus to a baby, to an infant, or from a teenager to an adult, and then beyond. This process is shared among virtually all of known life. But it's even more complicated than that in this case. Just as humans in general have evolved via cellular mutation and natural selection from Australopithecus to Homo sapiens, we too, within our own lifetimes, go through immense change. Not just in appearance, but in who we perceive ourselves to be and who we are to the world. Life itself is defined more by these adaptations than it is by its continuity. The person you were today is dramatically not the person you were 15 years ago, and in some ways two minutes ago. In mind, yes, but physically as well. This, this is an important point here, and I think that it's fairly obvious, but I think it's, it's worth kind of reaffirming. When I'm saying that the person you are, you know, right now is not the person you were, it's like, well, clearly there's continuity in who we say we are because of our mind. And because of, you know, like what I talked about earlier, that kind of like internal writer of our consciousness saying that you're here, the ego says that there's continuity between you and the person you were however long ago. But the fact of the matter is that not only does your brain change and in, 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 in your decision making changes and who you are in just a mental state changes immensely. I mean, we all know that. But physically, you're not the same person either. And so the only thing that's really giving us continuity is that ego. And so again, the person you were today is dramatically not the person you were 15 years ago, and in some ways two minutes ago. Let's continue on. Cass Shepard and Lena discuss their familial losses on a boat as they row further into the shimmer. Cass tells Lena that her daughter died of leukemia. She goes on and says, In a way, it's two bereavements, my beautiful girl and the person that I once was. The description here is incredibly important and very real. Moments throughout our life dramatically change who we are. And it doesn't happen just once. This process is absolutely constant. Every day we further define what it will mean to be us. And every time that we make that decision, we distance ourselves from who we were. After the four women have made it deep into the shimmer, they happen upon a video camera of a past cruise venture in. They play the video on it, and we see Kane 
cut open the stomach of another crew member. His insides appear as a jumbled nest of tangled intestines or reels. They slowly slide through his hands. Later we hear Anya have an existential crisis in front of her crew members that she has tied up. She sits on the ground, tears in her eyes, and says, When I look at my hands and my fingerprints, I can see them moving. Just as we hear Cass describe her past life as dead and worthy of bereavement, we see this intense visualization of the ways in which we are constantly changing. After the second bear attack in Anya's death, Dr. Ventress exclaims, We are disintegrating. Our bodies as fast as our minds, can't you feel it? But I mean, apart from the bear, the confusion here is that they aren't really going anywhere, and they're not dying. They're just changing so extremely that they can't understand it. And this drives them insane. This view of change, that of your past self, or in this case your present self, dying, is integral to the film. While Kane is away, Lena has an affair with a fellow professor, Daniel. We see this play out in a series of flashbacks, and we see how disgusted Lena is with what she's done. Almost immediately after she does it, she understands the impact of what she's done not only to herself, but her relationship with Kane. Later, while keeping watch in the Shimmer, Lena asks Dr. Ventress why Kane volunteered for a suicide mission. Dr. Ventress responds, I'd say you're confusing suicide with self-destruction. Almost none of us commit suicide, and almost all of us self-destruct, in some way, in some part of our life. We drink or we smoke, we destabilize the good job or the happy marriage. While it is important to, uh, while it is important to recognize that this affair is a self-destruction, an extreme change from your past self, of sorts, it's much more important what Ventress goes on to say. And she says, But these aren't decisions. They're, they're impulses. In fact, you're probably better equipped to explain this than I am. Lena responds, What does that mean? And Ventress says, You're a biologist. Isn't self-destruction coded into us? Programmed into each cell? This conflation of physical and mental self-destruction, extreme changes, is key to understanding what exactly is at work deep within our minds. What Garland and Vandermeer are telling us here is that not only do we have no control over our aging process of who we are physically from moment to moment, but we have virtually no real agency over our decision-making as well. These aren't decisions. These are impulses, Ventress says. While reconciling our lack of agency is an existential hijack that seems impossibly high, it's very easy to see that our decision-making paradigm is more often than not less about our rational minds and more about our physical, hormonal state of mind. If our amygdala is responsible for our emotional response, who or what is it that takes responsibility for your emotional responses to stimuli? Are you responsible? Are you responsible for your amygdala? Consider the story of Charles Whitman, the Texas Tower sniper, and what amounted to a suicide letter he openly acknowledged that he, had, he, that he had changed and had no idea why, but knew he had no control. In what is truly a tragic story, he expresses incredible sadness for who he, who he uncontrollably had become and describes his impulses as foreign and confusing. 
In a letter, he asked for an autopsy on his brain because he was unable to reconcile who he'd become. He knew something had changed. And despite having this awareness, one day, he stabbed his mother and wife and killed 16 people. It was later found in an autopsy that he had a pecan-sized brain tumor putting pressure on his amygdala. I think this was the most difficult part of the essay, um, just because I think that it's a really difficult kind of discussion to have with people when you discuss, you know, what is our decision making, um, how much control do we have, and I don't really want to make a stand myself. I think that there's good reasons to believe that we have far less control than we think, um, uh, whether that percentage is 50% or whether it's 98 or 99 or 100, it's hard to tell. Um, I think that we do put a lot of emphasis on our own um, ego. Uh, I don't mean ego in the kind of like a narcissistic sense. I mean ego in terms of like we think we have more control over who we are than we actually do. I think nowadays we're more prepped than ever to kind of have the discussion, but I think it's, I, I do, I think it's very important to, to continue having this discussion because um, going forward, I think we're just going to learn more about the body and if we're unprepared to have the discussion about, you know, like what actually is our decision-making process, um, then I think that we're going to have a lot of uh, tough conversations later, or at least we're going to be um, very uh, dissonant from the actual science behind it. I think that we need to be open to the idea that maybe we're not as con in control as we think we are, um, which is a tough discussion to have, but I do think it's an important one, and Annihilation brings it up. So it's not only an important plot point in the film, I think it's an important thing to discuss or at least be aware of, just as a human. So let's continue on. What does it mean to be one's own? If this is the reality, who are we guided by? Or rather, what are we guided by? What does it mean to be anyone if not only are our bodies in a constant state of evolutionary mutational flux, but our minds are just an extension of this? Let's go back to that thought experiment I posed earlier. If in your place your parents gave birth to another being that shared your name, your physical appearance, and every outward sign that it is you, would there be anything missing from the world? Lena makes it to the lighthouse at the center of the shimmer. She goes inside and finds another video camera and plays the video. Kane is in the center of the room speaking to the camera. He says, I thought I was a man. I had a life. People called me Kane. And now I'm not so sure. If I wasn't Kane, what was I? He goes on to say, my flesh moves like liquid. My mind is cut loose. In probably the most iconic scene from the film, we see this shimmery black creature mirror every one of Lena's motions. And eventually it takes her identical visual form. And then in the final scene of the film, after the shimmer has been destroyed, Lena and Kane stand opposite each other. Lena says, you're not Kane, are you? Kane responds, I don't think so. Are you Lena? Lena doesn't respond. But we see in both of their eyes, something has changed. And the question here is, what happens when you realize that you are simply an assembly of cells reproduced and duplicated from other cells? Your present self a mutated version of your past self. Your mind and actions at the mercy of the imperfect unpredictability of nature. Who are you? When Lena enters the lighthouse chamber, she finds Dr. Ventress sitting on a platform in the center. Dr. Ventress says, 
What was it we said? That I needed to know what was inside the lighthouse? That moment's passed. She goes on. Our bodies and minds will be fragmented into their smallest parts until not one part remains. Annihilation. She's describing not the end of life, but the end of the individual. If you like this podcast, go and subscribe to us on our website. You can do so uh, via any of the journal entries. Um, at the bottom of the page, you can do so at the reviews page, any of the reviews. You can do so on any of the podcasts. But don't just stop there. Go like us on Facebook. Go follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and on specifically on Instagram, we're going to be giving, you know, like three times a week, just some kind of glancing film analysis uh, via photos. It's a lot of fun. I love putting it out. Follow us there. And uh, this has been Brett Hoy with Monolith Medium. Thank you.